All right. Welcome, everyone, to the Joe Kilgallen podcast. Very pumped up for today's episode. Uh, as always, I want to start off with a big thanks to everyone who's been listening to the podcast, everyone who subscribes on iTunes, on Spotify, and Stitcher. You guys are amazing. Big shout out to all my YouTube subscribers. You guys are great. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my latest hour is up. Full, the full hour is up. Before I was putting it in the clips, now the full hour is out there. So be sure to check that out. And a big shout out to the Patreon subscribers as well. For those of you listening for the very first time, I'm comedian Joe Kilgallen. I like to sit back, have some drinks with people. Although I'm not drinking right now because I weighed myself and it was it was not a good situation today. The quarantine's finally caught up to me. So I'm slowing it down a little bit. But today's episode is great. Uh, I'm very excited to have this gentleman on. And he is a gentleman. He is a former major league pitcher, a two-time all-star. Uh, in 2000 with the Florida Marlins, the team in which he came up with. He also pitched for the Cincinnati Reds, the Texas Rangers, the Boston Red Sox, in which he was a World Series champion with in the year 2013. But he is known most, of course, for pitching for my beloved Chicago Cubs from 2004 to 2012, an MLB analyst, the host of Off the Mound on the Marquee Sports Network. Without further ado, everyone, let's welcome the one, the only, number 46 in your program, number one in your heart, Ryan Dempster. Yes. What's up, buddy? How you doing? Thank you for that. That was a wonderful introduction. I really appreciated that. Thank you very much. I try. Yep. I'm auditioning for Mark. As right you were there. naming as you were naming off teams, I'm like, man, I was like two teams away from being nicknamed the suitcase. <laughs> well, you know, you were only with Texas for what, two months? Yeah, I actually was originally drafted by Texas, which was kind of cool to be able to go back to. They drafted me out of high school and then traded me a year later and then I get to go back and play there, which was yeah, really. It was kind of special, full circle. My dad yeah, sitting, next, cool. sitting next to Nolan Ryan during a game. I'm like, Dad, what are you, what are you doing, dude? How are you, how are you sitting down here? Nolan Ryan, cool. what's that guy like? Uh, larger in life. Yeah, he really yeah. is. For, for me as a kid, I was growing up, I wanted to, you know, I emulated him. He was my idol. He was my hero. And now all of a sudden, uh, 1996, I'm coming out of our tent area where we had breakfast in our minor league facility. And uh, I come around the corner and like a giant light came on like, ah, and here's this man that looked like Paul Bunyan. And he's like, how are you doing, son? Nice to meet you. And I was like, oh, my God, it's Nolan Ryan. It's, it's my idol right here in front of me. And it was like he was so polite. You keep working hard, man. You, you do just fine. You know, and all I could think was those Advil commercials that he used to do. Oh, yeah, that's right. Remember those? Man. It was like, yeah, I do. And like, yeah. yeah, toward the end of his career was about arthritis and it showed him like warming up and he'd always, wow. he'd always say, uh, you know, he'd, he'd, you know, after, after a tough game, man, a couple of Advil, I feel like I go another nine innings. And he always had that commercial. And, and, and I just like, I emulated him. I loved his big high leg kick and he played till he's 47 years old and he's striking out everybody in the world. He's number one in that and no hitters. And, and then I met him and he was like, you know, when you, you know, they always say, don't meet your idol because you don't want your expectations to be lowered. I met my idol and they went up. And then I met him again when I went there in 2012. You know, what was that? 17 years later. And he was even more of a gentleman and more of an incredible, like invited my parents to sit with him in the front row while I started against, uh, the, I think it was the Orioles. And I'm just like, this is, this is uh, surreal stuff. How does this happen? I'm glad you mentioned Nolan Ryan. I wasn't planning on talking about Nolan Ryan with you right away or at all, yeah. actually. But I've quoted Nolan Ryan within the last couple of years when I get into arguments or fun, lively baseball conversation that we used to have in bars. Hopefully that comes back sooner than later. Was that Nolan Ryan once I heard in an interview probably around 2012, maybe 2011, and they asked him what he thought was happening with starting pitching in which pitchers are just throwing less and less innings. 
and what the deal was with like conditioning and things like that. And his whole thing was he doesn't think pitchers were pitching too much. He thinks they weren't pitching enough. He was saying like in his day, it was a four day, a four man rotation and his off days, he was throwing BP and he kind of did like a sly, almost like a cowboy type thing where it's like, and on my off days, I was throwing BP. And of course, every now and then I try to sneak <laughs> some by like, you know, he wouldn't just lob it in there. If, if someone was giving him a cocky smile, I'm sure he was like, all right, here you go. Let's, let's see you hit this one. And it made me think to myself, yeah, that is something where everyone thinks or the, the notion has been pitchers in high school are pitching too much, which maybe I think at that level makes sense. But then I don't know. There was like the, the whole towel drill. And every time someone had a shoulder that was sore, they were getting shut down for different times. I figure who better to ask than you, a pitcher who had a very durable career. I don't remember you ever being on the DL, maybe once as a Cub. I think you were on the DL. I know oh, you had the surgery. So well, embarrassing had, too. Was it, it was an oblique, right? I think you had like an oblique thing. After you I, the I, had, I had an oblique over. and a toe. I broke my toe one time. I was I trying to celebrate a win after we just beat the Brewers. And I, I, I tripped on the, uh, the short little fence above our dugout and fractured my toe. Oh, you know, my mom had a broken toe once and yeah. um, she kept going to work. So, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I wanted to, I wanted to, I'm like, Hey, can you do me a favor? Can you just stick something that numbs that area up so I can pitch? And then after the game, it can just wear off. But they were like, and we're not going to do that. It's a, uh, it's a closed fracture. We'll just leave it that way. No I'm toes like, yeah, are no joke though. The toes it hurt, are it hurt, they, like, yeah. it hurt so bad. It was the only time I ever saw Derek Lee uh, laugh really hard on a baseball field. Like while the game was going on, like, you know, he had so much respect. He didn't ever want to show anybody up. He'd celebrate, but he outwardly was laughing because he saw it all happen as a, like, as I hopped over the fence, I caught my, toe and I slammed down in there and I got up and I'm like limping and he's dying laughing and he's like you all right man and I'm like no I'm not all right <laughs> I'm really I'm really hurt right now I don't know what's happening and uh, I went in the clubhouse and then they like took my shoe off and my whole foot was covered in blood and I'm like so can I pitch tomorrow is that is that an option or no um but yeah that's a long way from asking me about Nolan Ryan and durability. No but no it's funny that you mentioned it though that's a that's a I agree with you though on toes I mean it's an embarrassing thing cuz it's a toe but I've had three times I've had to have like these like minor little surgeries on my big toe because I get really bad ingrown toenails Yep. And I, I would get ingrown toenails so bad at that if someone like flicked my toe, it would be gushing with blood. It was pretty gross. So I had that out through high school. And I remember it was during wrestling season. So I only wrestled like one year in high school, but I missed, I think I had a four and two record. And then I was like out for half the year. Uh, and it was because of a toe. And everyone's like, it's a toe. What are you, a little bitch? You don't give me a hard time. And I was like, guys, those are those shoes. Wrestling shoes are very soft. There's not like a lot of cushion to them or anything like that. So See, you, that's how I, I knew we were going to be close right now. You wonder why you meet people and you hit it off right away. It's because you and I have empathy for sore toes at some point in our athletic careers. I think that's what it really boils down to. I feel for you, man. It is not fun. Everybody no, I mean, looks at you. They look at you like with this third eye, like just like, what is wrong with him? Now, it's a very valuable appendage, the toe, okay? We all know the big toe's the captain. We all saw Seinfeld. That poor woman lost her toe. Kramer took it there on the bus. You don't want to mess with toes. It balances the whole foot. You'll never run the same. So back you, to the you arm. Know the, and, and, but no, but like, so now take that exact mentality. And I think that uh, when you talk about Nolan Ryan and why these guys were so durable and why they could do it, you, it there's a long list of them, right? Like Steve Carlton's and Fergie. Fergie Jenkins told me he never had a sore arm. Can you? Can you wrap your head around that for a second? I can't. You know? I just can't. You know, but maybe I, I, he did. But his sore arm to other people were like, I got a 
I need a 15 day DL stint or I need surgery. And he's just like, Oh yeah, it's a little tight in there today, but I'll be all right. Coach, just give me 175, 180 tops. You know, other than that, go to the bullpen. Yeah. And, it's... And, that, and that was the mentality and that's what they did. So like, I think, you know, in my career, many times I pitched with a short, uh, you know, an aching shoulder, uh, you know, a sore forearm, uh, um, an aching shoulder, an aching shoulder, never like so much that when I was throwing pitches that I was like, oh, 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 I need surgery, but like, you know, throbbing and just like in your bicep and it's going down there and you're getting out. So you just keep going. And um, I, I, I think that a lot of guys took pride in that. And it's, it's not that guys don't take pride in trying to be healthy now. It's like, we're always trying to protect them, but the human body is pretty impressive, man. It can do some amazing things. So if we, instead of trying to rein it in, if we just push it a little bit, maybe there are more Max Scherzers out there, or there are more guys saying I'm good at 120. Like Maddox used to say, you don't even start to pitch till 100 pitches. So maybe there's a little bit behind that, but we see data the third time through the lineup, a guy hits, you know, 280 versus 240. We're going to switch. It's like really. So I still got a 70. I'm I'm booking on the 72 percent actually. You know, like that's how I'm looking at it. Like that's my belief. And I think that 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 can pay off. And maybe that day I could face a lineup six times. It just, it seems like we've gotten away from it all because of analytics and, and that kind of stuff. And also thinking that we're protecting these guys when at the end of the day, yes, that's super important. Don't pitch hurt or injured. Don't pitch hurt. Don't pitch hurt. Don't pitch injured. But if you're a little sore, that's okay. It, you're not supposed to feel 100% every game. It's 162 games. Like, it's a long season. And then it's the playoffs, and it's durability, and it's running and flushing your arm out, and that's okay. But I, I just think that we're so capable of it, and, and we can have that. And these guys were dominant. Randy Johnson was dominant in his steroid era. These dudes were juiced out of their mind, hitting taters, and he's going 300 innings. It's you know, like they're, you know, 270 innings, I should say, and then pitching the playoffs. Well, yeah. like it's, it's incredible. It's possible. Did. Yeah. It's pitching such an interesting thing because pitching is one of the few things where I feel like pitchers almost get better as they're older. And I think a lot of that's because they're smarter. So they figure out I don't have to overthrow everything like that. But it's interesting what you said about the third time through the order. It was at your show, the first live off the mound you did at the Vic uh, a couple of years ago now that I talked to. I, I hope he doesn't mind me mentioning this. I was talking to Kerry Wood, great human being. And yep. we both agreed on the whole, because I, I brought this up. It was like my take on it. I'm thinking if I'm a hitter and a guy is cruising and he's throwing six shutout innings, but it's my third time up and the manager's like, well, third time through the order, I got to pull him. I'm thinking, good, take him out. We can't hit this guy. And I see that a lot. I'll see a pitcher just killing it going into like, you know, sixth inning or maybe you know five and two thirds or something or going to the seventh and the manager pulls them and it's like because they're playing this book where i feel like as much as i do like saber metrics i think there's a lot of cool part aspects of it i'm thinking don't do the other team a favor because there's still a mental approach whereas a hitter you're like good get this guy out of here i'll take my chances on the guy on the you know the the 11th best pitcher on the roster i'll take my shot at that guy so i almost feel like if you're giving the other team a mental edge when you pull a guy when they're cruising yeah, you look at look at the playoffs last year with Zach Greinke in the in the World Series game. He made a mistake, one, not a bunch, and then we got tired. He made a mistake, and then, but otherwise he was cruising. You tell me that dugout wasn't like sweet. That guy's out. You know, like when it, whoever the starting pitcher is, if a guy's cruising along, sometimes that's just the guy. And like, you might 
you might be just hitting your stride in the sixth inning or seventh inning and just, just be going right there. And, you know, it, it doesn't always make sense like uh, to just assume that those numbers are going to play out. I know over 162, they do. Um, that's why they're numbers. Right. But sure. You know, sometimes in those moments, that's why for me, I'm really excited for this year to be able to watch the 60 games because I think you don't have as much time for all of those to play out. And it's like my starting pitcher is going to make 12 starts. Well, all of a sudden, like three weeks in the season when they're stretched out, it's like he's cruising. You're going nine. He's cruising right now. Like that's what I see. And that's all that matters because it's, yeah, I don't have to worry about him, you know, six months from now. I'm just like, I got to worry about these 10 more starts he's got or six more starts he's got. And then it's playoff time. Like you can kind of full throttle some guys and maybe that brings a little bit of that back. And it, and it shows maybe, you know, the third time through the lineup, great. But the first two times through the lineup, I got the guy out on two sinkers on the first pitch. He had two ground balls. He hadn't seen anything else. He hadn't seen a slider. He hadn't seen my split, nothing. So it's all about how you get there. I remember Pinella one time I went out, I was pitching against the Cardinals and I got through like Pujols, Rowan and Edmonds or something like that. I don't remember exact threesome in the seventh inning. And I finished the seventh inning. I had two strikeouts in the inning and I finished the seventh inning with like a hundred and five let's just say i know it was over 100 maybe it was a little bit more and he just comes up to me on the bench he's like you're you're good right son and i, I was like yeah he goes yeah yeah i thought so i mean god you mean cruise through the middle of the lineup six seven eight be a piece of cake and then i went out six seven eight a he reaffirmed to me that i was cruising he told me i was going to go out and dominate six seven eight and i was like yeah and then i went out six seven eight in the eighth inning and then we had it over the closer and we won the game but Instead of like going, oh, but there's it's 105 pitches and we can't have them go 115, 120. Why not? I'm a professional athlete, man. Yeah. I'm a professional athlete. I should be busting my tail to make sure I can do that. Running, lifting, taking care of my arm, taking care of my body so that I can do that. I, I firmly stand behind Nolan Ryan as my idol. When I say just like him, I think that starting pitching can be pushed and be dominant. Um, you know, I, re- I really, really believe that. And um, they're throwing harder. They're throwing, you know, harder breaking balls, all this stuff now. But I still think that they can just be pushed. And, and that's the and that's like the the man, the the player in me, the old man in me. Oh, when I played and I really believe it still could be the same way today. No, I, I, I agree with you 100 percent. You do have to read the situation. And I, I, that's a cool story that Lou's like, yeah, you got this right. I like uh, I like hearing uh, Lou Pinnell stories because he's such a fun Plus, manager. Hey, and there's sometimes Joe where it's like, man, what? Why'd you leave me out here for 70 pitches? I, I've been terrible since pitch 13. You, <laughs> have you not seen this? Why did you not use your eyes? Quit giving me the the heartfelt try and get my innings. I'm terrible right now. Get me out of here. There's oh yeah, that, too. There's gotta be those moments where you're just like kind of like pacing around the mound going. You gonna take me out? How, how, how bad do I have to throw right now? I mean, this is on national television. You want to help me out? I've got kids. I want them to respect me when I come home tonight. Let's come on, Lou. Let's go. Yeah. I have dropped. I have dropped. I what took you so long when he came and got me? You- it wasn't. It wasn't Lou. I think I can't remember. It was, I remember it was maybe it was uh, John Bowles. He was my uh, my man, my second manager, and I was just getting knocked around. And I was like, "What took you so long? <laughs> you should have got me out of here quicker." Did he say anything or was he just take the ball away and shook his head? He just took the ball away. He just looked at me like this. He would always be like, you know, this big bullfrog chapstick. And he'd look at me and then he'd just be like, you're done. Yeah. But he was also nice. the, 
the best. He gave me the most opportunity in the big leagues. I, 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 I was lucky I had, you know, Jim Leland to start, but then him right afterwards to just let the wild horses run. That's how we were a bunch of young bucks in Florida. And he just said, here, boys, go to the pasture and, and, and let's see what you guys are capable of doing. It was pretty cool. Which is great. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're going to need something like that in the future. If we're going to get back to pitchers, you know, making 35 starts and, and throwing, let's get you know, 250 innings. I mean, there's only like one or two guys get over 200 innings. I think it's going to need a team to take that chance. Like I was reading a book, the Kansas city Royals in 95, tried a four man rotation just for a little bit. They just didn't commit to it because they, I think they did a four man rotation in the first two months and it was working. But then I think the books made the point that they weren't watching pitch count enough. It wasn't so much the four-man rotation. It was that the guys were all going 150, 145 pitches, which in 95 wasn't that crazy. And I think Kansas City wasn't that good that year, so it kind of went under the radar as far as a national story. Uh, but you just need one of those teams that's going to be like, you know what, we're committing to this. We're going we're gonna to try like letting guys go deeper, and, and we're going we're gonna to see how this plays. We're going to see, you know, these are professional athletes, like you said. Let's see how strong their arms are. We've got all the technology. We can monitor them. We'll know if there's a twinge that's – that could lead to something bad. Uh, another thing I was, I bring up Nolan Ryan for lately is because, uh, you know, during this quarantine, one of the big things to talk about, and I know you as a sports fan in general, probably dug the last dance, the story of the Chicago bulls in the nineties was, uh, you know, there's the big Jordan LeBron debate that happens all the time. Of course I'm biased growing up in Chicago my whole life, but I definitely think Jordan's the, the best basketball player ever. LeBron's amazing. I'm not taking anything away from him. I feel like people should enjoy him. Jordan's the goat though. I bring up this because, and this is how it ties into Nolan Ryan. So many people, they don't like arguing eras. And then they act like anything from even 25 years ago. They go, Oh, that was like the eighties. They go, how much do you think humans evolve where someone in 1989 can't compete with someone in 2003 or whatever? You know what I mean? Nolan Ryan came into the league in 1967, I believe, and retired in 93 and was still thrown in the mid nineties. And they don't really have radar guns. So I would love if there was like a sports time machine, I want to go back to 1969, 1970. Let's give him a few years into his 20s and clock him because he had to have been throwing 103, 104. Because if you're throwing 94 as a 45-year-old, I got to imagine you're burning it over 100 in, at your age 24 season. Yeah, you're telling me that 1973 when he was throwing absolute babies out there that that radar gun was just dialed in? No, that you know, you know it wasn't coming in as hard and like – in today's gun, the way they're able to measure it right out of the hand and what shows up, he for sure. Like, I mean, it, the the giddy up on his fastball, he was like the, one of those guys, you know, him, Drysdale, Koufax, where it's like they would say his his fastball would would rise, right? Like yeah, jump like, in the zone. Like, it just never would come down. You'd see it, you're like I can hit that. No, I can, I can't. And, um. You know, to control that took him a long, long time. He didn't start controlling until later in life. Uh, and just like the, the raw power that he had. And plus, by the way, he had a nasty breaking ball, too. And, it, and, and a great pretty, punch. He could punch, and, too. <laughs> and a pretty decent changeup. And you did not want to charge the mount. Do not charge the mount. Still to this day, you're going to get your tail whipped. That video gets celebrated on its anniversary on Twitter every year. The anniversary of Robin Ventura making a great mistake of charging Robin, uh, charging <laughs> Nolan Ryan, I should say. And that reminds me because Nolan Ryan was the guy that everyone I know loves and respects. I guess, you know, sometimes you read some folklore about baseball. You, you don't know how true it is, but I read that when, if you hit a home run off Nolan Ryan, you know, it was old school. So you would run around the bases and often he would stare you down 
kind of like he would kind of walk around the mound and watch you as you jogged around the bases to make sure you didn't disrespect him at all. But then I also read that one of the only guys that he that hit a home run off of him and he just kind of stood on the mound being like, all right, you know, I'll, I'm not going to stare you down because I respect you, was Andre Dawson. I guess Dawson with the explicit a bomb off him when he was with Houston and he respected Dawson. He goes, I know that guy plays the game the right way. He, you know, he does, he's got the bad knees, but still goes through all this just to play. And uh, I, was, I was, you know, I know I wasn't going to stare down Andre Dawson. Today is the anniversary. I saw on Twitter, and this also involves, I know a guy you're buddies with. Today is the anniversary of when Eric Shaw hit Andre Dawson, like in the face with a fastball in 1987. And he's like out. I'm sure you've seen the highlight a million times. And the first mm-hmm. person to charge the mound is Rick Sutcliffe. And then the whole Cubs, everyone's charging the mound. Dawson gets up, they have to pull him back, and it's, it's like a, a melee. And to the point where one of the umpires is like, Shao, we got to get you out of the building because you're going to get mm-hmm. killed. And I want to know, is there a teammate of yours where if they would have got hit in the face the way the Hawk did on that day, who are you sprinting out for? Who are you going, you know what, I'm taking out this oh, picture. Wow. They just hit my guy. I'm sure you have a few, but I just want to yeah, know there's one guy. Wow. Who's the Dawson to your Sutcliffe? I would probably say Derek Lee. D. Lee. Nice. Yeah. 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 It seems D. like Lee a good human Derek being, Derek Lee. And what a great hitter. Too. Yeah. Just like no no reason whatsoever to ever throw at him, let alone up at his face like that. You know. Well, he had that Eric um, Young incident. Chris Young. Chris Young. Sorry. That's yeah. Right. Eric Young was Remember that? that? How about that? I would have loved to have seen the reach. I should find that out. That should be like a, a you know, a fight card. Because both those guys, Chris Young, you know, uh, bas- ex-basketball player at Princeton, too. He's like. I think six nine six ten and D Lee six 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 seven, so it was just like, it was like I've been in a few brawls and it was like one of those brawls where I'm like, we should all just back up because these guys are way bigger than both of us, <laughs> like like all of us. Like they, he was just like, yeah, I've never seen D get mad like that. You know, D yeah, gets mad, would, but never like that. I played with elbow back years. would take people out. Yes. Yeah, you know, so Derek Lee, I, I remember watching that when it happened. And there's something about – here's a, a good question for an actual baseball player being on the bench when one of these goes down. Because as a fan watching at home, like the fighting isn't part of baseball. So when it happens, you're like, I think, what's going to happen yeah. here? Like you kind of like you, – you stand up. I, oh, every time I've seen a fight in a baseball game, I stand up and get closer to the TV because I'm like, oh, what's going to happen? And uh, so you've been both a starting pitcher and a bullpen. Mm-hmm. To me, as a fan watching at home – it looks like it'd be a lot of fun to be in the bullpen and be like, here we go, boys. And then you come sprinting in from the outfield. And you always know there's gotta be that one nutbag bullpen pitcher, maybe a Turk Wendell type. Who's like, I got to get there. I got to get there because the worry is by the time you hit the infield dirt, man, the fight's broken up by now. Yeah. We're just going to, we're just here for show at this point. Well, that's, and that's why, like, if I had a, you know, if I was commissioner for a day, I don't know what all my rules are yet, but one I know for sure is that, if you leave the uh, bullpen during a, a bench clearing brawl, you get a forty game suspension. Forty. Wow. Games. Forty games. Forty games unpaid. Forty games go fifty. Because never, never, ever, ever in any baseball brawl ever has everybody been brawling and then the bullpen showed up and they're like, "Man, things were really out of control till you guys got here and saved the day." Because you're right, there's always the one idiot who the fire is out, and there's one little ember, and he just comes in with a bucket of gasoline, and he's just like, let's go again. That's all that ever happens. It's never, ever, 
like a good thing. So just stay there. If you want, you know what? If you guys want to fight bullpens, cool. We'll break that up after this one. That's what I'd like to see. In order for pace of play, we'll clean that up while the inning's going on. For pace of play, stop running out. Don't come out. There's no reason to come out. That needs to be like in a movie. If they ever did like Major League Four, here we go again. Is yes. there a subtitle? It's good writing. There we go. I want to see bullpen in right field and in left field. They just meet in center and start brawling. And all the starters who are in like the like by the mound are looking out at them going, "What should we go out and help them now?" It's uh, I think it's under control. Like and then you get like a Leslie Nielsen like a, type a as the umpire. Ball, they go back to playing. The bullpen's still fighting. They're still going on, but yet the pace of play in the game is just gone. They're back. Play ball. All right. Who's who's dusted off? Joe West already thrown out 13 people, and away we go. <laughs> Joe West was the umpire, I think, the day Eric Shaw hit him. No, no, I actually take that back. Joe West was the umpire. Another game, an infamous Andre Dawson moment. It was it was a ball, if you ask me. Yeah, and, uh, I remember that. They, yeah, and Dawson threw all the bats on out in the field uh, and everything like yeah. that. That's when you knew how strong Andre Dawson was. Try going out, anybody who's watching this, try going out and getting three wood bats and then taking them like this and then just shoveling as many as you can, right? Three, try three. And it's going to be hard. One of them might slip and hit you on the way up. You know, some might stumble in front of you. But if you take nine like he was grabbing and just throwing them, you'll realize how strong that man is. He wasn't he even was getting, a, like, a swing. He was he was doing it like that because the dugout's yeah. like an opening, you know? Yeah. So, that was impressive. He, Joe, he is so jacked. It is incredible how great a shape he is in, and he's kept himself in. Like, he was a special – he was a special assistant down when I was down there in um, Florida with the Marlins, and I'd see him in the weight room, and he just, like, you know, like, curling the 60s. Like, he's warming up to start lifting. I'm like, what? Shredded, six-pack. Riding the bike, you know, he said he would ride the bike for whatever his age was. That's how many minutes that day he would ride. So when he was 50, he was going every day 50 minutes. Like, he was just insane, Jack, still to this day. Yeah, he's going to be 65 now. I know he still plays in the, like, the All-Star game softball game, that during yeah. All-Star, you know, festivities and all he's that. New, he's got new knees now. Oh, man, he could probably come yeah. back. But I remember when it was in Comerica, maybe, I don't know, five, six years ago. I can't remember the date. He almost hit a softball. Out of like one hop the fence, you know they have that fence come in. He hit it way over, and I'm not kidding. Hit the warning track, and I was watching my buddies being like, "Good lord, he looks like he could still just absolutely still those massive forearms and and a thin waist. He doesn't look like out of shape at all. He almost looks scary." And you were talking earlier about about his his knees and uh, you know the things he went through with his knees. He uh, he would go so when you go into the training room and you get like the pre wrap, it's like elastic wrap, but it's like tape, you know, just kind of holds. They would put Larry Starr, our trainer in Florida, was telling me, he goes, Ryan, I would put four rolls of pre-wrap on his left knee and four rolls of pre-wrap on his right knee to keep them tight before batting practice. Then he would go out and do batting practice, come in, cut it, cut his stuff off, go through his aqua routine, hot, cold tub, and then do it again before the game every day. And he's like, and he never complained one time, never said my knees hurt, not once. Like, whoa, man. Yeah, I've read his yeah. biography. Um, an inspiring Incredible. guy, man. Yeah, I'm yeah. glad he made the Hall of Fame. I was very happy about that. Me too. Because I looked at him as a guy that he obviously played the game clean, did everything the right way, great teammate, uh, put 100% out there. You know, if he's not drafted by Montreal, and this isn't a knock on Montreal so much as it's a knock on AstroTurf, if he comes up playing on all grass fields, this is a guy that finishes 500, 3,000. 
because he finished oh, yeah. 438 home runs and I think about 2,800 hits. So that's yep. it's a good healthy season and a half away from 500, 3,000. And I think Hall of Fame voters eventually made that a consideration. So I'm glad he made it in. Um, and, 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 and bet on himself more than any professional athlete has ever bet on themselves. That's right. Sign it, 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 like, no, no doubt. Any sport, anywhere. You name a person who's what he walks in and says, Get, here, I'll sign it. You fill it out. And they fill a number out thinking there's no way he'll take it. He takes it. And then he goes out and wins the MVP. That, that is awesome. Hawk, you're awesome, dude. Andre Dawson is the man. He really is the man. I mean, he's, he was my he was my first favorite player growing up. I think everyone has like that favorite player from different parts of their life growing up. And Dawson yep. was the guy. He just had that really awesome tomahawk swing, and then he had that cannon for an arm. I think I remember yep. one of my first baseball memories. I was probably like five years old, and there was a tag up situation, and my dad goes, "Watch this!" And then he threw him out the plate. Like it was all set up. You know, he's getting right behind it. Does that crow hop and. Yeah, it was incredible. And then I remember, you know, I was reading about, I read his book when I was, his book came out, I think, while he was still playing. It was before he was on the Marlins because he was wearing a Red Sox uniform on the cover. And he talked about helping, like, you know, he had a couple of teammates in Montreal that had some drug problems and helping them out. And, you know, his, his grandma was really, he was really close with his grandma. And I'm close, I was close with my grandma. So I was like, I love this guy. This is the man, you know? So I had, um, I had Andre Dawson. Who, who is your most obscure, like the one player that wasn't the superstar, but you were like all in on? Okay, uh, I could give you a couple. In the early 90s, the Cubs had a player named Hector Venezuela. And yep. he was just a chubby backup catcher that I remember being at a game. And it was, we were, you know, we always kind of were upper deck, but this time we were seeing like 138 or something. It was at a clear shot of, beyond deck circle and he warmed up by like doing this and he was just like a pudgy backup catcher that was kind of fun and in that game he hit a home run and i think he almost fell around in the bases it was kind of like just i don't know he's like a fun guy then um god who else throughout the years there's always i like Fontenot. Fontenot was kind of a fun yep. you know uh, he looked like a friend of mine in high school like they looked exactly alike so we always had some fun there um yeah, as far as yeah, I think there's like the obscure guys. There's always uh, a couple. I names. like the I like the Hector Valenzuela. How did you say it again? Yeah, I messed it up yeah. too, Hector. Because yeah. I almost want to say uh, like the country Venezuela. I think it was yeah. Hector Valenzuela. Valenzuela. Villanueva. Yeah, Hector Villanueva. I think that was it. He was a yeah. good one. I liked um, comes to the third baseman who had kind of like a mullet, Steve Bouchel. Yeah. He was a, Third baseman played for the Pirates too for a while. It's mid nineties. I'm yep. trying to think from my youth. And Rangers and Rangers too. Yes, he was a Ranger. He was a Ranger for a while. That's I think right. he's a coach there. I think he's still a coach there. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. And then of course was Ray, Ray Quinones. Ray Quinones, the shortstop for the Mariners. I just I don't know why. I, well, I grew up in the Northwest, so we got a lot of Mariners games. That's right. Let me ask you this. Let's get a little bit into your childhood now, Ryan. You grew uh -oh. up in, in. Oh, here we go. Let me go. Um, let me go. Top this off. Water. Yeah, you might want to you might want to lay down. Yeah, you're drinking water. I'm drinking a Capri Sun. Nice. Kind of, like, there was anything cold quick, I could grab. Quick juice box. Right? They're underrated, I think, even as what adults. Flavor? Fruit punch. But they gotta fix this. The number of times I go to poke the hole and I go through the back, it's embarrassing. It's been going on for decades like this. Let's get it together, people who make that. Anyway, yes. um that's that's the important issue. It's why I brought you on the podcast. You grew up in British Columbia, Canada. 
just like the whole country is hockey country. I, I've met people who like baseball, though, from Canada. And, of course, there's been a lot of big leaguers yourself, Jason Bay. You'd mentioned Fergie Jenkins earlier, probably one of the most famous Canadian players. Justin Morneau won an MVP. He's Canadian. I think actually Canadians one year had Morneau as MVP in baseball. Steve Nash is an MVP in basketball. And then um, I think, so I think whoever, it was Sidney Crosby, maybe Sidney Crosby was in hockey. All we needed was Mike Vanderjet to just kick a little bit better. And we would have had the NFL MVP too. And would have had all four flying up there, up North. The yeah. Big Maple leaf over all the MVPs for American sports leagues. <laughs> uh, so what got you into baseball? And did you also play hockey? Um, baseball. I just, I grew up around a softball playing team, slow uh, parents. They were slow pitch softball. My grandpa really loved the blue Jays and he loved baseball and, so my papa, my dad's dad, my papa, and I would, you know, be the 10th player on a team if they were missing a rover, you know, they'd only have eight or nine people give him a glove. I was four years old out in the outfield running around and, and just loved it. And then he sent me off, uh, not like I was in trouble, but I wanted to go. He sent me to baseball camp up in the Okanagan and, um, you know, all these kids and we're playing and I'm like, wow, I, you know, I really like this and I can compete with these kids and then just kept going and, I wanted to play hockey, but it was never like a passion. I loved the sport and I just wasn't a good, I skated like happy Gilmore, but worse. Like I was, <laughs> I was not a good skater. And, and so then my parent, my parents one year put us all in hockey, two younger brothers. And, uh, she was going out to the rink three times a day and just, you know, it was a far drive from her house. And she just said, listen, you guys can play hockey and no other sports or you can play all the other sports that you were playing basketball and soccer. And we were just like, yeah, that's fine with us. We'll do that. So we just kind of jumped ship on hockey. My parents were thankful because hockey equipment is not cheap. And yeah. No, my dad actually played uh, college hockey in Wisconsin. And um, I, I had friends who always said like, yeah, your dad knows a lot about hockey play, you know, he played in college and everything on a scholarship. Why didn't you ever play hockey as a youth? They go, you see how expensive the pads are and everything like that. I think my yeah. dad knew that. So he's like, you know what? Baseball is a lot cheaper. Let's get you. I got you a glove. You got a bat. They'll give you a helmet when we sign you up and you're good to go. So I totally yeah. get that. And hockey is a great sport, of course, but I I'm with you baseball. Um, I don't know, man. And especially probably growing up in Canada too. It's nice to be out in the summer, you know, well, so I, as a Chicago yeah, kid, and, and, appreciate and, and we got, you know, we got that like, cause we're so North up there. We're, you know, basically the, equivalent of you were to be able to drive there um three and a half hours north of seattle so like in the summertime you could play till 9 30 10 o'clock at night without lights because it was just that light out and we just were constantly playing baseball all the time and then in my little town i grew up in uh, outside of vancouver you have to take a ferry that goes there so not a not an island but no roads that go there it's still mainland so it's a 40 minute ferry ride into vancouver and I was like, I'm going to try this out. Like, let's go. So let's go play in the city against, you know, because the competition just wears down when you're in a super small town like that. And um, I was lucky. One of my buddy's dads was like, I'll coach you guys in the city. Um, and so he'd drive us over or drive us back. We'd take, you know, the ferry over, hop on the bus. Then after work, he'd show up and um, he'd drive us back. And the next year I was like, I want to keep doing this. And I got picked up by a good program. And man, I'd, I lived on a ferry eating chili dogs and playing pole position like 40 times a day. Like that was, it was a after school, two 30, I, I, you know, miss my last class. I'd hop on the bus. I get down to the ferry. I take the ferry over. I'd sprint off to catch the express bus. I'd go to practice. I'd get all the way down go to practice. A teammate would drive me back to the ferry, drop me off at the ferry. I'd sneak on 
So I didn't, I could follow a family member in Pee Wee's Big Adventure when he kind of follows, he's laughing as he goes in. I would do that with families. I'd follow them in like I was their, you know, their other kid. And then I'd have that extra five bucks for a chili dog. And I'd just sit there and pump quarters into the video games on the ferry. And I'd do that four days a week. And next thing you know, it, it happened. And it, sometimes I look back, I'm like, how was, how was that even possible? But it, well, because you're dedicated. I think that's a big part of why it happened, because you were clearly very <laughs> dedicated. So were you drafted out of high school or college? Uh, out of high school. So awesome. I, 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 had a, I signed a letter of intent to go to Notre Dame and, um, and never went and um, signed to play so you, baseball instead. So you would have ended up in the Midwest. How about that? Yeah, I did eventually. Yeah, and here I am. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. What was going through your head the day you got drafted? Like when you got uh, that call? Yeah. I just want to know. I want to know how pumped you were. Yeah, I was really excited. You know, it's a lot of hard work getting, getting to that point. Yeah. Um, and I'd had a game a couple of weeks before the draft that uh, after actually after my recruiting trip to Notre Dame, and I didn't, I didn't pitch very well. And uh, and and then the next game after that was like three days before the draft, and I like just absolutely demolished this team from Seattle. But there was really no scouts there because the draft was getting ready to happen. And so I was like, man, I, I thought there was a chance I could go early in the second round, maybe late first round. I didn't know, you know, it's like, and then, so I'm sitting there and I know what time the draft starts and it's going, it's going. And I'm like, okay, probably the second round. And then all of a sudden um, gets to the beginning of the third round and the phone rang and my scout, Tim Hallgren. And he's like, Hey, Ryan, it's Tim Hallgren. You know, we want to say that we're, uh, we select you in the, in the seventh pick of the third round and, I was like, sweet, this is awesome. And, uh, and then my parents let me skip school. I went golfing with some buddies and it was great. It was, a, that's what I wanted to hear. Yeah. I wanted to know then, what you got. Yeah. <laughs> you my parents, cream, my parents were awesome. Oh yeah. Nice. You know that. Yeah. Probably nice. a big giant. Probably the, I think I did get a cookies and cream, the size of one from the, um, like from the ice cream store. There you go. I, I still got an ice cream addiction to this day. So I did too. I actually had dairy queen yesterday. I had, I had um, one today. I had an Oreo yeah, blizzard today. Uh, you see, my wife got the Oreo. I got the cookie dough. And my nice. son, the three-year-old, loves Reese's peanut butter cups and likes vanilla ice cream. So I told him, I'm like, hey, we're going to get you a mini because they have the mini blizzards now. Yep. It's a Reese's. You're going to love it. Took like, won't even try it. Go like a really? little bit. And he's like, no. I'm like, dude, you like vanilla. You like Reese's. It's, it's together. And just, he's a he kid likes three things. Like peanut butter and jelly, fish sticks, <laughs> and like, um chicken tenders or something like that or chicken nuggets but don't let but them yeah. but don't let them touch each other they got to be yeah. on the plate you know i can't complain though because i was that kid too i was very picky until i was like 29 and then i was you know like five years ago and then i, I you know i love sushi now and all sorts of weird exotic stuff where before i would be like yeah if it's green i'm not touching it unless it's a pickle like i was like that guy now you're like sea urchin sure give me a couple of those yeah whatever good. man just I'll throw some salt on it. I'm sure it's fine. It's edible. You know, you got to toughen up. Uh, that's amazing, though. Yeah, I've always wanted to know what it was like to, to get that phone call that you just got drafted. Yeah. You know, it was, that had it, it was it was really incredible because you you know you at some point it starts to become real, like you know it's going to happen. So um, you're putting a lot of hard work into it, and it's pretty it's pretty satisfying and rewarding. And then Tim was uh, he was a great guy, a really great guy, great scout. He followed me for a while. And, you know, he lived down in Seattle and now he's got to drive up, take the ferry over, come to my little town. Right. And he's like, I want to make an offer. And I was like, yeah, can you just tell me what it is? Cause like, it's a big journey for you to come up here and like get all the way across here. And 
he's like, no, no, I'd much rather do it in person, you know, like business one-on-one, like sales yeah. one-on-one, you've got to do face-to-face. And, uh, he's like, you know, he gets up and I'm just telling you, I'm not going to accept it. So don't, you know, don't like, let me know what your offer is. And so then they come up there and he writes it on a piece of paper and we, we feel like this is a good number. And I just looked at it and I said, Oh, thanks a lot. I'm not going to take that. And then I think we had, Ch- I think we had Chinese food or something. Yeah. I just like, totally, <laughs> I was an 18 year old assassin in that negotiation room. And there then I go. got out and then I got out and I was like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. I can't believe I just said no to that much money. Holy cow. Holy cow. My parents have never owned a house. Well, <laughs> oh my God, what's happening? You know, it was like, honestly, that's what it felt like. But then, you know, he came back again. I was like, yeah, 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 that's good. That's good. We'll take that. Take that. We'll take that one. And off we went. So you didn't have an agent? You did the negotiation yourself? Um, I had an, an agent that was just like giving me information, but he wasn't expecting anything. And um, I just, I contacted my, my, my high school coach and myself contacted and just said, hey, like, can we get some information on what guys signed for. We don't really have that here on the Sunshine Coast in Gibson's British Columbia. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I can't I can't go over to my neighbors and get that. So could you could you maybe give that? And he just sent up a packet and just kind of knew a number and looked at previous years and what they'd gone up and what kind of fair number would be. And that's all I wanted. I just wanted to start playing baseball and go go after that. And my dad's like, as long as they pay for college, if you get hurt or can't play. And he, they were like, Yeah, we'll do that. And so it was good. That's smart. Smart move. Yeah. I, I always wonder why. I mean, I know some guys do it, but to me, like, you know, I've got two sons. If they ever are fortunate to find themselves in a position where they could get drafted out of high school, I go, take the money. Put enough of it aside. <laughs> you just put a little bit of a side and we'll put enough in a, in a bank account. A standard CD will grow at enough for interest rate where if in three or four years it's not working out, then you could go to school. Like college Good isn't point. going anywhere. This is a once in a lifetime thing. I, but every now and then you hear someone who's just like, I mean, Chris Bryant. The guy right here, he did yeah. that before the, sh- the podcast. Everyone, in case you guys are wondering why I have like almost a life size Chris Bryant right here behind me, I feel like a weatherman. I'm like missing, no, <laughs> I'm missing where I'm hitting him. Uh, my mother, who lives in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, I went to go visit her and uh, she had this cardboard cutout. I'm like, where did you get that? And she's like, oh, I, I got it from the bar, you know, there's some bar near her house because you know, a lot of Cubs fans in Iowa. And uh, I then find out that she stole it. Um, <laughs> But I had to drive back down, you know, an I-80 or whatever it is with Chris Bryant kind of half like right up against the window, like on the side, because you can't really fit this in your trunk that easily. I mean, it's not the full 6'5", but it's a good, I don't know. It's, it's a good about, one, though. It's a good height, though. It's a good probably like 5'10 or something like that. Um, you, you ever steal anything, Ryan? That's what I brought you on this podcast for. What's, what's the most famous thing you've ever stolen? <laughs> uh, I'd like to plead the fifth on that. There you go. I've actually never yeah. stolen anything in my life. One time. I think I stole a DVD from a party in college because I didn't like, like the person whose party was, they were being rude to me. And, um, and there was like a DVD right there. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm taking this. It was like Spider-Man two or something like that. I I later felt bad. Don't do that. No stealing everybody. I was obviously kidding. I don't want Ryan to confess to swiping stuff from malls. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Or stimmer all gum from the local convenience store. You know, like that was bad. That was, but that's as bad as it got. It was like the, it was like Nicorette, but it wasn't Nicorette. It tasted like (laughs) Nicorette, but it didn't help you stop smoking. That's just Uh. how it tasted. And, uh, and I remember taking that and and a pack of that and feeling like super terrible because I knew the girl that worked there and I was like, I just, yeah, never sat well with me. 
Yeah, I felt bad. That I think I, I, I yeah. remember now while I did while I did it. I think I may have referenced this on, a, on another episode of this podcast. So sorry, longtime listeners. But I remember one of my friends. I don't know why everybody was just mad at this party, and uh, one of my my one buddy who kind of looked like Mike Fontenot actually, he stole batteries out of the girl's remote, and it was such a weird thing to steal. And but that's someone funny else, too, though. It is funny. It's kind of funny because then. She's like, what the heck happened? Why is this not working? And then she's no batteries. Like, why is there no batteries? Because really, that's it's kind of got a double. The only way to find out that somebody stole that from you is the fact that it's not working. That's that's kind of I think that was his idea. It was his whole thing was like, you know what? I'm going to terrorize her for a week or two because the idea being that maybe after she kicked everyone out of the party, which I get it, throwing a party's rough. uh, She's like, all right, glad they're gone. And she goes to turn the TV on. Golden Girls. You know. nothing you know what i mean yeah. thank you for being a friend i'm not hearing that theme song <laughs> and then she's mad at that moment she's like well, i'm just gonna go to bed instead so she goes to bed kind of an angry sleep because she didn't get to watch yep. some shows on wine she wakes up in the morning forgets about it goes to turn the tv on again and she's like what the hell undoes the yep. batteries and now she's got to go to walgreens and get some double a's and so that's that's what you get for being rude to people though you could have asked everyone to leave nicely but you didn't and now you have two or three days that are ruined instead of just one Yep, and you're confused because you don't even know how Blanche met this guy because you met you missed two episodes with no remote, you know? Those were the good old days, man. I mean, you know, when you when you had to watch the TV right there when it was happening, those were the good old days. <laughs> yeah, I kind of do miss that a little bit. There was something about everyone. That's what was cool about The Last Dance, the big documentary, was that it felt like everyone in the country was watching the same thing at once. And that's why yeah. sports are still cool because for the most yep. part with TV shows – I think you need like I got into Game of Thrones really late and I had to avoid Twitter because I started watching it as like the last season was starting. And I'm like, I don't want people ruining something for me on accident. So I had to avoid social media where back in the day you didn't really have that. And my dad will ruin something for me, but he ruins comedy. (laughs) He'll ruin a comedy for me where he'll say, hey, you see the latest? It's always sunny. And I'm like, nah, I I didn't check it out. I got DVR though. He's like, all right, well, here's what happened. I'm like, I'm not, I just said, I, I don't think he knows what DVR means. I think he's, right. my, he's so anti-technology. It's yeah. hilarious. He doesn't have a cell phone. Yeah. Like he just refuses to learn any of this stuff. And um, which is why he's probably the happiest person I know. He doesn't yeah. have a cell phone. He's not bothered with social media. He's just out there golfing and then watching Jeopardy and, you know, whatever reruns are on the rest of the night. And when you tell him what DVR is, be like, you know, when you used to push two buttons, dad, you had to push the. The two buttons to record something, that's what DVR is. So from now on, just think of DVR as two buttons. Then you know I'm taping it. Yeah, exactly. I remember being a little kid, and I would have to switch the cords on the back for the VCR to the cable when he wanted to record something. <laughs> God, he, had, he had all sorts of good movies recorded. There was a good movie, a baseball movie yeah, called Long Gone. Technology going backwards, and then you get into, like, you know, you have the the Discman, the, but then the Walkman where you take a – and you only had reverse – Oh yeah. So you only you only had fast forward, so you had to flip it back over, fast forward that side on the B side, so you get back to that song on the A side. Man, it's it's nuts. We've like, come almost, a long we've come a long way in technology. It's really impressive. No, it's great. I mean, it's great, Thanks, but there are Bill. the little the, yeah, <laughs> the little things. I miss some of the little things. That's why I've gotten back into vinyl. And you yeah. you told me off air that you, your wife's getting into it too and stuff like that. So. But I'm careful in my choices with vinyl. I, I, I want to buy albums where I don't have to be like, this song sucks. And you want to like take the needle off. But it, it makes it a whole listening experience. And you're a big music guy. Um, instead you know, instead out- of American Girl dolls in our household, we're going Russian dolls. Those Russian dolls, remember those? Yeah, we're going. Oh, wow. Is that a Cubs one? 
Yeah. So nice. random. So random too. So I got this as a gift after the 2012 season or 2010 season, right? From somebody. So outside is Soriano, right? Nice. Expect that. And we got a Ramos Ramirez. There you go. Yeah. Then that, you know, that's why it was for me. They found that. Nice. They were in Belgium. They got it in Belgium. Oh, that's really cool. Then, and, then, and then Zimbrano. Yeah, but then they got one more, right? So you're thinking, what no you, way. Who, who, would you, who would you think? Who would be yours? Uh, Terrio, because it's someone small. Wait, 2010, who would be Ted Lilly? Trying to think of the 2010. Kerry Wood? Carlos Pena. <laughs> Could you throw me for more of a loop? I was like, oh, I wonder, you know, because you're open it the first time. I'm like, I wonder who's inside. It's got to be Kerry Wood. Or like you said, I did think Terrio too, because it was so tiny. You know, I thought like, that's where they would go with like that. Yeah. It's almost built to scale, Terrio, right here. This, that's, yeah. how, that's how normal it is. He was always neat because as a young, you know, as a rookie, when you haze them, we would put them in the overhead compartments in the planes. Put in there nicely. But, um, yeah, so that was random. So Sorry, back to music. I got sidetracked there. No, no, I, I wanted to, you know, we were talking about a little bit of music there. And, um, you know, I want to get a little bit to know you outside of the world of baseball. I know you're a big karaoke guy, of course. But uh, what's your, like, if you had to choose... Give me, like, I mean, I, it's so hard to say a favorite. People ask me, what's your favorite band? I'm like, that's hard because it depends on your mood. Maybe, you know, one yes. month I'm listening to this band a lot. So give me a few of your favorite, like, musical artists. Uh, okay. I'm going to say uh, each one they, sucks, by the way. Yeah, Chris I'm Stapleton. I'm trash each one. Yeah. <laughs> no, Stapleton, I know. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. I'm going to mess with you. Yeah, you can do that. Yeah. Um, I, I really, like, I So you a country like, guy? Yeah. Yeah, I grew up, like, my family, my uncles always played family get-togethers. They were always playing kind of country, um, you know, John Cougar. Oh, cool. Bob Seger. Like my uncle sounds just like Bob Seger. I mean, when he sings pink houses, it's like, it's, it's insane how, how unreal he is at that song. It sounds just like him. It's a cool voice. Uh, so, so that kind of genre, but, um, and then I went to see him at Northerly Island and he did encore, you know, people did encore for him and he came out and did whiskey and you. So that's just him and a guitar you know, and he just crushed it. Like there's nobody else in the band playing. Like that's a ballsy first song back. And I was just like, this is, this dude's just killing it just with his voice, you know, a uh, big fan of his, um, band wise. Uh, yeah, I, I, I like, uh, the, the tragically hip to me were a band that I fell in love with. Obviously everybody in Canada listened to them. So, um, kind of grew that. I was, I was in eighties, like kind of hair band, like Bon Jovi, Motley oh, cool. Crue, Guns N' Roses. Yeah, for sure. I was just listening to a podcast, and I didn't know this story. Yeah, um, I, I want to see any footage on this. MTV supposedly has footage. They did a concert in Moscow in 1989 with um, uh, Bon Jovi, Motley Crue, Cinderella, Skid Row, Ozzy Osbourne, the Scorpions. Wow. Behind, behind the Iron Curtain, yeah. And it was to promote... Staying off drugs and alcohol. How funny is that? That's hilarious. That is so funny. That is the funniest thing about all those 80s PSAs. You know what I mean? And the more you know. Someone told me once that like 60% of the people who would do those, here's what you shouldn't do, kids. All did it. Yeah. It was the 80s. All of them. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. To be honest with you, Joe, like I sit here and I try and rack my brain. I listen to everything. Like when I'm karaoke and I am set up in my basement, I'm always karaoke and goofing around and, and you've seen it. And I just let it roll. Whatever song pops up, I'm like, oh, I, 
I'm constantly listening to music. I, we have it on at the house all the time. My son plays drums. I got buddies who come over. Well, not right now, but we'll come over hopefully one day again and play guitars and we'll get a little, we have a little, you know, sit drums here and cymbals and maracas and we're just a musical family. So, you know, you could throw on Marvin Gaye and I'm, I'm ready to get down and then, the next minute go to the cranberries and I'll just be like, you know, zombie, zombie, <laughs> yeah, grateful. I, I, I love do. her voice, man. She RIP yeah. Dolores Reardon. I believe her name was. Yeah. Yeah. My kids have gotten really, I mean, my one kid just turned one. So he likes anything. He could just, you know, smash around and everything like that. And um, my three-year-old son though is obsessed with the Beatles. He got, yes. I showed him like my, you know, my dad was really into the Beatles and then I liked the Beatles through my father, of course. Uh, but I listen to more Beatles now and seek out more of the Beatles than I ever had in my life because growing up, the Beatles were just like, oh, yeah, the Beatles are on. Like, you didn't yeah. seek them out, but you were never mad when they were on the radio because it's the Beatles, like the most influential band and, you know, one of the biggest bands of all time. But now I'm like, di I'm diving into like deep cuts off the White Album and like getting into like the solo careers and everything like that. And it's fun. It's fun to like kind of like bond with um, with my, my kid through music. And I'm hoping to like push him more towards. I mean, I want him to do whatever he wants, of course, but I yeah. kind of like the idea because I didn't grow up with instruments and stuff like that. You know, we lived in an apartment until I was 10 and then we got a house. And at that point, like, you know, I think I was, I just don't think it was, I think I was in a rap at the time. I'm trying to think it was like mid nineties. And then I got into like, after your, after your rendition of Ice Ice Baby, which you completely nailed, by the way. Thank you. Um, Thank you. It's that, more about the was, dancing. <laughs> yeah. And just like the, the way you were owning the stage when you're up there was really good. I like that. You know, it, you 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 were you were take, taking the full uh, the full effect in. I we appreciate that at at uh, our club karaoke sessions that people really buy in and you bought in and you brought it and um, yeah very nice. I and I, I so I can see why you would like nineties rap. You know, I go all nine innings. Demp, I yeah. go all nine innings. I don't have fasted. I don't need relievers. You know what I mean? I, I put in the work during the four days, and then on my fifth day, I show up and I shine. Yeah. And uh, and that's what it's about. But I know that you love music, and I, I really, you know, obviously everyone wants this quarantine to end, but I really am excited for when you could go back to doing Off the Mound for a live audience, because uh, both of the shows you did in Chicago at the Vic and at Park West, respectively, I always love using the word respectively whenever I can and whenever it applies, you ended the show uh, with music with one Anthony Rizzo, who, who is there a better human being on the planet than Anthony Rizzo? No, man. He's Probably not. Deal. He is the yeah. real deal. Uh, a, obviously a great player. He was, he's lost like what? 20, 25 pounds. So I'm, I'm really excited to see what he could do for 60 games. Uh, I'm actually torn on the 60 games. Cause I love the 162 game season and it's going to be weird yeah. seeing a guy, you know, there might be someone who leads the league in home runs with like 22. So that might be a little strange thing. So there's going to be asterisks all over the, sports almanac but uh, I, told you ended... Riz, I told Riz I go you're gonna rake dude think about it. you don't even have to hit in April like you might you might hit 400 this year you dude that's a April great point window. yeah he's, he's he's gonna tear it up because he was notoriously uh rough April guy well yeah. Florida guys I think or anyone who grew up in warm weather they... they don't have that too, in Fort too chilly too chilly yeah, with the little hands do you ever see this Riz sorry we're bashing you a little bit buddy yeah. um but yeah he and you guys ended with piano man you're not at all yeah you know him better than i do um ended with piano man and then ended with i think a bruno mars song Up and um yeah and both of you guys 
100% killing it. Piano Man's big deal to me because I'm sure I mentioned to you every family wedding of mine from my cousin Brian, who's like the oldest of the grandchildren. Like, you know, I'm very tight with all my cousins. Everyone, like, you know, kind of grew up within about 10 minutes of each other in Chicago. Uh, we end every wedding with the song Piano Man, where the whole, like, everyone at the wedding, you know, these are usually pretty good sized weddings. You know, by the end of the night, the last song, maybe about 200 people or so left, everyone locks arms like this. And just kind of sways back and forth, singing along to Piano Man, which is such a fun song to sing along with because there's such a story to it. You know, Davey's still in the Navy, probably will be for yep. life. You know, that bartender could be a movie star. He just, he's got to get out of that place, though, Ryan. I don't know why he, he just, someone's got to buy him a bus ticket or something. But um, Keep going. I'm looking, yeah, I know, right? I know the, that waitress, you know what yes. she's practicing? You know what she's practicing, well, Ryan? She's politics. practicing politics, that waitress, right? Yeah. So she'd be yeah. perfect in 2020. I think he wrote that song in 77 or something like that. <laughs> She'd be doing real well in 2020, but yeah, yeah. man, I, I really hope it. I hope it comes back. Let's tell, uh, let's tell everyone a little bit about um, uh, the off the mound where you came up with the idea and uh, like the inspiration behind it. Yeah, I just you know playing for so many years. Um, some of my favorite times, you know, as a teammate, were bus rides and hotel rooms and sitting around with somebody living with a guitar, playing songs, or we're playing cards, or we're laughing. Um, clubhouses, bullpens, those moments. And, you know, for us as players, we don't really, I mean, we do during a game, but even during a game, we'll be, you know, talking about other things. So it's like, we're not really always talking the game, but when guys do interviews and they're doing stuff, a lot of that is baseball driven, you know, sports driven, you know, how the game today, how to go. Um, and I, I just wanted to show the human side of the player a little bit because sometimes we just, we get so caught up in how awesome they are that we, you know, we forget that there, you know, is a living, breathing human there that has a family and a wife and, uh, you know, as a son or he's a husband or he's a father or all three. And um, yeah, if we show that side that maybe we have a little bit of empathy when a guy strikes out with the bases loaded, like he didn't go up there going, man, I really want to strike out right here or, you know, gives up a big hit or whatever it is. And, you know, over my career, I saw that happening at times where, people can lose sight of that. And so I was just like, you know, as I got into TV and started doing stuff and, um, you know, working with MLB network and started doing the Cubs show and it was a ton of fun. And we really see that side of people and open that side up. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I've been enjoying it a lot to be able to, to bring that to a live, you know, talk show. I always love Johnny Carson and I always loved the tonight show. And, um, the late night feel is unlike anything that's done really for sports interviews. Um, you know, especially something like that with a band and we have, you know, great comedians like you come out and entertain the crowd and, and just give people a night to come out and make people laugh, um, smile on their face and hear stories from players about their career, about their life um, and share those moments. And uh, yeah, well, for it, me, it'll it, come it, back. We're going to come back to it. Everybody society will get I hope back. So, yeah. Wear a mask. We all hope so. Look, my, yeah. my you know, um, we're going to do it. We're going to do it at the seven stage seven, seven, three in Chicago. That's where it's going to be. Perfect. Yeah. It's right we're down the street do from Wrigley. What's that? Belmont we'll South be opening Port. up a lot of the shows. I would love, I'd be, be honored to. Thank you so much. Yeah. I, I would even want to, even if I would be in the seats anyway, just cheering you on. It's a great show. I love what you've done with it because you get to see a side of some people. I had no idea that Sean Casey, had some of the funniest stories I've ever heard in my entire life. Uh, Roger Clemens, <laughs> Roger Clemens did the one you did in Arizona. And people were like, Roger Clemens, because everyone just kind of knows what the, the media portrays. And we both know that the media can be inaccurate at times. And uh, which is unfortunate. And again, like, you know, I, I would like regular people to see that, um, 
you know, these are athletes, but they're also human beings. In baseball, there's not a sport. It's a team sport, but, you know, there's more one-on-one situations and, and stressful, high-pressure situations than any sport, really. And that's why I think yep. people love baseball, the suspense of it, you know, three-two count, yeah. high and run a third, blah, blah, blah. You know, all the, everything's set up for you. Where in other sports, that things kind of come out of nowhere a little bit. Where baseball, it's like hockey. I love hockey, but yep. when a guy scores a goal, it comes out of nowhere. It's like, it's your, just go yep. over, you know what I mean? Where baseball, yes. you know, okay, run around second, it yeah. here it comes. Yeah, it's, 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 put, it's right there, but I like that, though. And that's what makes the baseball playoffs, I mean, like, you know, thank God the Cubs did win in 2016 because I don't know if I could have gone through a year of that <laughs> offseason going into it because 2015 was a lot of fun because it was like, all right, we're on the rise. This is cool. Mm-hmm. It's a young team. And, um, and, and you know how let's, – let's, I'm going to keep you too long here, but um, I did want to ask you, what was it about Chicago that made you fall in love? Because I know you, you got to play with, in Fenway too, which is so cool. You played in the two Meccas, Wrigley and Fenway. And um, – Maybe you could tell us a little bit about Fenway and then we could hear about what you love so much about uh, Chicago and the Cubs in particular. Yeah. You know, I, I was lucky in my career to play in a bunch of different places, you know, play in Florida and come up and, uh, and have a chance, like I said, like given an, uh, the opportunity to just go out there and find myself as a big league pitcher. Um, different in front, in front of like, like 17 fans, you know, so you uh, know, hey, <laughs> true, true, true story playing against the Montreal Expos first game of a double header, 107 people. 107 cool. people in stands. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, pretty impressive that we could count them all. Um, and then, <laughs> and the, Hey, by the way, the twin bill game, the nightcap game, it wasn't many more than that, you know, like it was just not a lot of people, but that's okay. At times we did and they were great when they showed up and it was awesome. And then, you know, went to Cincinnati and Cincinnati's a great place to play baseball, great baseball fans. Um, you know, being a Cincinnati red, it was a really, really awesome experience getting to play with Larkin and Griffey. And then you come to Chicago and coming here. So it started as a, as a visiting player in 1998, I came and made my first major league start at Wrigley field. And I was like, Whoa, like, Holy cow. You know, this is June 1st. Ivy's in, it is like beautiful, sunny day. I'm running out to the center field wall. I'm doing like stretches out there. The right field bleachers are just raining down on me. Just every bad thing you could imagine. How, I was second guessing myself as a, not just as a professional athlete, but as a human being <laughs> when I was going to run back, they were gentle. I'm, I'm being hard on them, but they, I might've been they were, there. I apologize. They, might, they, they, uh, there was one redhead in there. They, um, they, uh, they were, I would have been wearing a hat. Look at this skin. I would have been wearing a hat. <laughs> you never tell. Oh, this is a funny story. You were on this team. Um, I once sat in the left field bleachers with a buddy of mine. And we told people, he was telling people around us that I was Matt Merton's uh, brother. I remember Matt <laughs> Merton had big yeah. red hair. Yeah. And yeah. people believed it. And here's the yeah. best part. This was the first they time I ever got like, well, I got a couple. Um, there was, there was like, you know, people flirting and stuff like that. So I, I was helping my, I was being a good wingman. And um, uh, so I was left field bleachers. He threw me a ball. And everyone's like, that's not fair. He's your brother. So everyone was like, oh, you threw your brother ball. And he even kind of did a double take where someone's like, brother. Like, I could hear him. Or not hear him, but have him, like, I could see him be like, did someone say brother? It just was a coincidence. He just, like, you know, people. my one friend stood up. He's like, come on, you should stand up too. And I'm like, oh, I don't want him to throw me a ball. It's embarrassing enough. I was trying to. And you know what cracks me up is that nobody questioned the fact that he's from Georgia and I sound like this. (laughs) I didn't do an accent. Yeah. I didn't pretend whatsoever. But then he just t- threw a ball up, 
And I'm lucky that the two friends I was with, you know, I'm about six one. They were maybe like five nine, five ten. So I just had to reach a little bit higher. I caught the ball, and um, and they were like, "Oh, come on, give it to one of us." I'm like, "I'll see, I'll see who wants to." You know, I was like making people like do things for me. I don't. I think I kept yeah. the ball though. I think like I like in the eighth inning, I went to go sit somewhere else because I didn't want people at the end to be like, "Where's Martin's brother?" Anyway, though, um, but yeah, New Wrigley, I get that. It's one of those yeah. things. I love that view in every Cubs highlight video they do. And and you work at Marquee and you work for the Cubs. So give a tip of the hat to whoever's in charge of the video production because they always include this shot where it's coming up like the steps and the, the stadium's revealed. Like when you come yeah. up from like the home and plate. That's what it was down. like because you do come out from the tunnel. Like not all the places are like that. And I just remember just being like, wow, like this is amazing. Like this, I want to, I want to feel that energy that I was feeling on that day was really cool. Um, I hadn't really felt that much and as a, as a player yet. And so it, it made an instant impact on me. And then as you went there as a visiting player all the time and you just would see it and they really loved their Cubs, the fans loved their Cubs and you could feel that and you understood it. You saw it when you were out, you know, at a restaurant or a bar or whatever it was. So it was really, um, it was really, really a special place. And then when I had the opportunity as a free agent, I'm like, I want to go play there and, you know, to be able to play here for nine seasons. And, uh, it, it was amazing, amazing. Just like, you know, being able to walk home after games and stop at somebody's stoop and play bags with them and have a beer and get to know the people in the neighborhood and up and down South part. And, you know, we've been here a long time. I've been here since 2004. Yeah, you know, going on going on year seventeen in Chicago. So you are um, a Chicagoan, my man. You are yeah, definitely a Chicagoan. Yeah, and going to Boston was it was incredible too. It really was. It was a ton of fun, and um, it's a apples to oranges. Like two totally different experiences, different times in my life. Um, you know, but the city of Boston, and and the one thing I did say is that I felt like at Fenway sometimes I felt like the whole entire crowd was hanging on every pitch, whereas sometimes at Wrigley it's like we got to build our snake cup you know, and we're not necessarily in on this pitch, which is awesome in its own right. That's what I mean. It was like, you know, and in Boston, they're way quicker to yell at you. Like, yeah, you know, we love you. We love you. Three run home and you stank. Move home. Get out of here. <laughs> they were a little bit rougher. So, but uh, no, both incredible places to play. And Boston as a home player does, and not just putting the uniform on as a visiting player, you always walk out the dugout and it's the field. And then you look over to the green monster. As a home player, when you walk out that tunnel and it's just like right there, you're like, oh. And as a starting pitcher, you're like, sweet protection. <laughs> like for all those rockets you give up that end up being singles, <laughs> it was just like this really, really magical place too. And what a what a cool thing to be able to put a uniform on for both of those cities and and be a Chicagoan, but also have the chance to go there and, and win a World Series. Pretty special. Yeah, that's incredible. You were on a great team then, 2013 team, winning a World Series there with David Ross, who's now the Cubs manager. And, yeah, a lot of tie-ins there. Lester was on that team. Um, Theo is over here now. And I know you're good friends with Theo, which is cool because he also traded you. So um, it's got to be pretty cool to be like, you know, but you understand the business side of things, of course. And, by the way, I haven't talked enough. The 0708 Cubs, I was a huge fan of. So I was, uh, you, you were a big part of. A lot of Cubs fans. We had my good age. teams, man. We had good, teams. very good teams, very good, yeah. awesome teams. Sorry, I sucked so bad in Game One, but whatever. Nah, come past. on, man. I've moved we, past we, it. We <laughs> wouldn't have gotten there without you. We have been there without, yeah. yeah, you wouldn't have. You were an All Star that yeah. year. Would you win 18, 19 games? Yeah. We wouldn't have been there without yeah. you. So um, those, all those baseballs are for all those walks in that game that I gave up in that Game One. That's what all of those are. Different, different. Well, I apologize as a fan because the fan base. <laughs> no, the fan base then. 
I think I talked about this with you in 2015 when the Cubs played the one game wild card game in Pittsburgh. I was happy it was in Pittsburgh, and a lot of my friends were like, "Oh man, it'd be so much better if it was at Wrigley." I go, "Look, man, I just I think our fan base, and it's not the whole the Cubs fan base is is interesting because I tell people there's a whole notion that a lot of people just want to do snake cups and get drunk in the bleachers, and I go, a lot of those are Wrigley Field fans, which I'm not knocking. That's a great thing too. You know, it's a great thing that our our that Wrigley has and the, and the Cubs fan base has, but Cubs radio ratings were always high. So that means we have a fan base beyond that. There is a guy who's, you know, on the Southwest side of Chicago, who can't be proud about being a Cubs fan down there because it's Sox territory, but he's listening on his AM radio for whatever reason, while he's working on his car, there's people road tripping down to Springfield and it's a little fuzzy, but they can still hear the game. There are diehard Cubs fans in so many different ways that, you know, if you see some jerks in the bleachers acting amok, that doesn't represent Cubs fans as a whole. A hundred percent. But I'll never forget that playoff game. It was, the, I think it was game two. We went down four to two. Or maybe it was game one. Game um, one. It was game one. Yeah, I think uh, we were, it was two nothing. Then it went down four two. And I remember like everyone sounding like the series. I'm like, this is game, guys. Why is the crowd sound like everything? Just did everyone like lose their job at the mill at once? Why is everyone sounding? Uh, because in the past, everything had, and it's really hard to not focus on the past when I know. so many times where it's been so close. I totally got it. I I was frustrated too, but at the same time, I understood, you know, and, uh, you know, it's nice that we all came together in 2015, but especially in 2016 and pushed back that, pushed past that and beyond that and, and I'm rallied. I'm so glad too. Because the yeah. national media, you know, they wanted to bring up 1908 constantly. <laughs> I road tripped up from LA to San Francisco and I saw the game three loss, which was still a great game. Arietta had a three or a homer. KB tied it in the ninth and Almora made that great catch. And there was a guy around me who just kept yelling 1908. And these gi- Giant fans are, are jerks. Yeah. I'll, I'll say it. Giants fans are not, at least these ones. I don't want to, you know, cast a wide net against their whole fan base, but this, my section was bad. Like there were some really bad people. And I remember uh, one of the, one of the great lines of that series, John Lester in the dugout, when Jake Arrieta hit that Homer against Madison Bumgarner. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, that game. I was at that game, that game. Yeah. In San Francisco. Yes. I was there. John Lester yells. Cause you know, Madison Bumgarner was like untouchable, untouchable you know? no, it, for years, just like dominating in the playoffs. And like he hits the home run, and as he hits it, Lester just yells, "The Russian is cut!" He yelled the Rocky line. <laughs> it was so awesome, man. I probably like it, it was just so incredible. It was just like, yes, he's beatable. Like it was like it's gonna go our way. It's gonna go our way. That's how it felt. I felt that way too. But I remember after we won the World Series. You know, I was all this jubilation as a fan going, you know, jumping up and down, going crazy. I thought about that jerk fan in San Francisco who went up when after the Giants won, you know, the one game yeah. they lost because they won that series in four and they had that great comeback in game four. As I was walking, you know, out of AT&T Park, that guy just going 19 no way and clap. And I wanted to find him so badly and be like 2016. When was the last time you guys won the World Series? 2014? I can't even remember 2014. Like I wanted to like just like tear this guy apart. But unfortunately, I just had to like live my life and be happy and move on. I'm like That's Jordan, right. but as a fan, you know, Michael Jordan never forgotten anything. I kind of no. had that a little bit too, but without the insane athletic ability to do something yeah. about it. Uh, all right. Well, let me ask you this. I want to, uh, you know, I don't want to take up too much of your time. And thank you again for doing the podcast, Ryan. Everyone, yeah, you follow bet. Ryan Dempster on Twitter. Um, you're, what are you, Dempster46, I think, on Twitter? Dempster46 on Twitter and Dempster4646 on on the gram. On the, on the gram. Nice, yeah. nice. Follow me. And off the mountain. And, and add off the mountain on both.
at Off the Mount on both. And it's on the Marquee Network. What Friday nights at Saturday, eight o'clock. I believe. Eight, eight, eight o'clock eight Central. Yeah. There you go. Eight Central. Yeah, this, one. this week we got that very Jake Arrieta. I'll ask him about hitting that homer. Well, yes, uh, definitely ask him. I'm excited yeah. to see that. Definitely yeah. talk to him about that. Um, I want to talk about something fun in your career now. Alex Rodriguez, you were a Red mm-hmm. Sox, and of course, A. Rod was hated being a Yankee. You had that whole big dust up with him. T- tell me a little bit about that. What was going on there? Yeah, you know, things happen. We all do things sometimes in our lives where we don't know what the right thing to do is. And in that moment, um, I mean, my mom for, stole this from a bar, so I get it. Yeah, I get it. For, a, <laughs> for a couple, uh, a couple different reasons, I felt like it was the right thing to do. I probably do didn't do it in the right order. Everybody thinks I threw at him four times, which is a total crock. Um, you know, one zero and two zero were both just sinkers in in case he was swinging. Um, you know, and then it happens and you know, you live with those consequences, right? Like I got suspended and, um, all that stuff, but I had a really great paid five day vacation. I I was in San Francisco. I got, uh, suspended for hitting a suspended guy, um, which is pretty funny. So then I decided to, um, uh, I, John Farrell and I talked about it and I was just like, let's not make this a big deal. It doesn't have to be a big deal if if we don't want it to be. And we agreed that I would just leave. And I drove down to Big Sur and um, stayed at a campground in Big Sur and um, and then went to Malibu and stayed on the water out there and paddleboarded and jet skied and hung out. And we just kicked some more tail on the West Coast. And uh, then I joined the boy, boys Sunday night after the suspension ended and on the bird back to Boston. And, um, you know, it didn't it didn't really it wasn't an issue. And then we just moved past it. And then I remember going to New York and some guy was like, Hey, you know, ever since you hit a rod, the Yankees had the second best record in baseball. And I was like, well, cool. Who has the best? And he's like, well, you guys, I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. Good question. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. And it wasn't Perfect. even a question. It was a statement. You're going to come over here, at least have a question for me. It was just a statement, but um, you know, it is what it is. He's doing all right for himself and uh, you know, no harm, no foul. And, uh, you know, I did feel bad that I, that Joe, you know, if I, if I maybe would have hit him on the first pitch, then maybe uh, not, none of that would have happened with Girardi because I have a respect for Joe Girardi and really like him. And then it put him in that situation, but it just showed you, you know, what a great manager he is because he always has his players backs and he's looking out for them. And, um, you know, uh, he, he was really mad. I remember saying that to Salty when he was picking up the ball. I'm like, wow, Joe is really mad right now. <laughs> and then, yeah. Um, but it yeah, happens though. Yeah. I think some of the fun things when I look back at it are like the overhead cam of Johnny Gomes standing right behind the shortstop during the hole at bat. Cause he was just waiting for it to happen. Cause he knew it was going to happen. <laughs> um, but that's you know. classic though. You're part of, you are now part of the proud tradition of Red Sox Yankees, you know? Yeah. And that was honestly, that. that was how it was all supposed to be in the first place. You know, he's Alex Rodriguez. He was the third baseman for the Yankees. The Reds, you know, Red Sox fans. And like my brother's like, you just hit him first at bat at, at Fenway Park and Fenway Pack. And then you won't have to pay for any beer. And um, I was like, I'm on board for that. That's cool. Um, so, and then it happened to bet. I'd have like, I'd have like people at like um, the concierge or the door guy at the hotel, like handing me an envelope with a note saying, thank you with, you know, a check in there to pay for some of the fine. I'm like, this is just crazy. I'm like, Boston Red Sox fans, you guys are awesome. Sox Nation, 
they're they're awesome. No, I've got cousins that live like in um, yeah. Milton, Massachusetts, just like right there, I believe, and yeah. uh, in Brookline too. Um, yeah, dude, Boston Red Sox. I, I was always like again because you know I mentioned my love for Andre Dawson when he left the Cubs after ninety two and became a Red Sox. I started to root for the Red Sox, and then the Cubs and Red Sox both have that proud history. You know, Fenway, Boston, such a cool yep. city. So yeah, definitely um, a cool fan base, and you're part of that. You what a great one year you did there. You only played in twenty thirteen season, correct? You're welcome, Sox Nation. Yeah, My one pleasure. awesome. You got the ring. You got it. You, there was all you know. kinds of turmoil going on. Things were crazy. Bobby Valentine and all that stuff. And they had a manager, fired a manager. There's chicken and beer and all these different things. And Ben Sherrington called me up. He said, I need that fixed, Ryan. I need it fixed right now. And I was like, okay, well, who's our manager? He said, John Farrell. And I said, all right, John, you got, I got this, right? You just... You just do the X's and O's and we got this. And uh, no, it was, uh, it was a group of guys that, that just really gelled really fast. We, we, um, you know, we all had the same mission in mind really early and um, kind of established that we had a really strong personalities and guys like Johnny Gomes and Napoli and, you know, guys that were already there like big poppy and Pedroia. Great, and, great beard on Napoli. Oh man. It had like a, it had like a person with a beard living inside of his beard. It was just magical. Um, you never knew, like you just, sometimes you, I'd just be in my locker, I'd just be staring at it, just hoping something would crawl out and grab, <laughs> grab a food or something and then just go back in there. It was so big and plentiful. And Johnny yep. Combs had a good one and the whole team, we had everybody growing them. The trainers were growing them. You know, it was only like our coaches that were the only ones that didn't grow them. Everybody else was on board. So, um, it's like the anti-Yankees. <laughs> right. It was, a ton, it was a ton of fun, man. We talked about buying duck boats and, our, our parade from day one and we never stopped talking about it. And like, you know, I was going back and uh, looking and watching the, they showed the ALCS game that uh, Poppy hit the grand slam. And, um, you know, looking back on it, I was like, wow, I, I never really remembered us really being in danger of being down. Like that's how it always felt. It always just felt like we were going to win, even though we were down one Oh, in the series about ready to go down two Oh and back to what we were talking about. They took Scherzer out and our whole team, had a nice deep side <laughs> was like, okay, now we can score some runs. Perfect. Yeah. Okay, we got rid of that guy to bring it all back full circle. And, um, and he hits that home run and the cop, there's 15 seconds of fame throwing his arms up. And, um, it was, it was nuts, man. Tori Hunter flipping over the wall. Next thing you know, we're winning and winning a world series and we're in those very duck boats that, you know, we were we, Jake Peavy got traded over. He walks in our clubhouse and the very first thing he hears is, did you pick your duck boat out yet? It's the very first thing. That's amazing. Good guy, Jake like, Peavy. Yeah, really good dude. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard him play some guitar. Another musical yeah. baseball player yes. there. He opened up for Willie Nelson and played with Willie Nelson. That's incredible, man. The, I, yeah, before all this, before all this hit at down in Alabama, and they asked him about opening up, and and Jake Peavy, awesome dude. And and I told Jake, I was like, dude, you're so awesome. He goes, Willie Nelson's awesome. He's like, I he Willie says, come up and play with me, you know. And Jake's like, Hey, Willie, man, I would, but I got 10 guys in the nine guys in the band and my son. And, you know, I feel bad if I'm the only one that comes up there and plays with you. And he goes, bring them all up. Wow. And so he's, yeah. He's like, now my son Jacob's up there jamming with Willie Nelson. Yeah. Cool. Guys lived quite the life. Yeah. That's incredible. I, he also jammed Yell, with me yelling once. At himself um, out yeah. on it, you know, <laughs> yelling at himself out on the mound. Come on, Pete, damn it. Throw the ball. Let's go. Oh, he man. was, dude. He was so animated. Yeah. I remember Schwarber and him like almost had a moment because he's talking to himself, and Schwarber's like, "What? Like, was he? What was he saying? Was he, was he, you know, it's yeah. a weird thing." But I remember that, um, dude. I, I'm also. I forgot. That. I should have mentioned this, everyone. 
Off the Mound also had these great sketches, man. Ryan's very funny and does stand up and opens the show with great monologues. And so I'm, I'm really, I can't wait for it to come back. Everyone watch Off the Mound on Marquee. Nice. And um, I mean, I know it's back. It's you're doing shows still, but I mean like the live audience aspect when people yeah. went to stage seven, seven, three in Chicago. So doing those monologues and I'm sure they've got screens so you could show some of the sketch videos because you've done some hilarious ones that um, like seriously, man, some really, really good stuff. And I know you're going to do one live in Boston. So uh, more big things from off the mound. So definitely check out off the mound, everyone. 